It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Don't forget to check out our corporate career boost recruiter, and even student memberships at cboc.com. Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Trip Braden of Strategic Performance Partners. Trip's an executive coach, leadership team advisor, and the 2021 one of the top 30 global diversity and inclusion influencers. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Uh, and welcome, everybody, to the room. Uh, I am Tom Bradshaw here with uh, Dr. Jeremy Lukaba and Trip Braden on the main stage. Uh, once again, if you'd like to join us on stage, if you have something you'd like to contribute to the conversation, uh, raise your hand and Jeremy will bring you up on stage. Uh, today's topic is how your manager can be more effective with employee concerns. Um, Jeremy, why don't we actually start with you and where this question came from? What's sort of the background of it? Great. <clears throat> Great. Uh... Glad to answer that one. It's a it's a passion of mine, and it's I'm I'm a big fan of you know what are the simple things that that people can do, and people often, and it's it's weird. I hear it more and more and more every day that people you know people are promoted because they have a good skill. They're not necessarily good at, at leadership, managerial, supervisory skills, but they're good at a task, so they get promoted. And what happens at that point? is they continue to focus on the task that people are doing. And then they get into this micromanaging aspect because they're so good at it. They know every detail, they know it like the back of their hands, how to do it, how to do it best. But the more effective leaders, the more effective you know, managers are looking at the people. So if we look at this, we picture in our head uh, a human face and there's an arrow pointing to another person. And then down below, there's an arrow, arrow pointing to someone doing a task. We need to erase that arrow uh, you know, if you want someone to do a job really well and you've hired them because they have a skill and they have a talent, we can't supervise their methods. So when employees come, you know, what are employee concerns when it's the same kind of thing? Dig, you know, uh, tap in, tap into that leadership aspect when handling employee concerns. I've seen so many times and coached so many people who get into this trap of when their employee comes to them with a concern, they feel the need they feel they automatically get defensive. They feel they're backed against the corner. They feel it's going to add to what they have to do and take care of. And they feel like they have to problem solve. So they either problem solve and see it from their perspective and get really into the weeds of what the problem is. Did you try this? Why didn't you do this? Did you try this? Why didn't you do this? Why don't you just do this? Instead of really digging down deep and figuring out what's the actual concern coming from? How long has this concern been going on? I found likely when when a concern comes up, it's usually not the first time that an employee thought of it. It's not like something happened that day. It's usually something that's been eating at someone for 
two weeks, a month, months, and finally they get up the courage to express a concern. So if leaders and managers would go into conversations where employees express concerns with the thought of, wow, this is, there's a good chance that this employee has been thinking about this for a while and it's been weighing on them for a while. Let's take our time. Let's, you know, get, you know, down to the nitty gritty with effective communication, let them talk, be able to find out in a couple bullet points, let's find out what the problem actually is. Um, and I'll start off with one quick tip and I'll turn it back to you. When employees come with concerns, they often have a story behind it. They share examples. They want you to see this concern from, from their perspective. And often there's a lot of, uh, you know, more detail than it's needed, et cetera. It's helpful after they share what their concern is that you repeat that concern back, make sure that you, they feel heard and understood Make sure you're fairly accurate and see it from their perspective. Don't ask questions so that you can see it from your, from your perspective yet. That's not the goal. And once you do that, I found it very helpful to say something to the effect of, okay, uh, you know, after you've made them feel heard and understood, let's break this down. In three sentences or less, what's the main problem? And then you follow that with in one sentence, what are the, what are the other problems that we're, we're trying to solve here? What are the challenges? Because you want to get as a leader, you want to find out what are the barriers that you can remove to, to this person's motivation? Or what are the barriers that you can remove to this person being able to be effective, get this behind them, and even better, grow from the experience and use this challenge to really kind of catapult into, uh, into a better situation. Over to you, Tom. Thanks for that very much, Jeremy. Um, Trip. let me go to you because You've had a career where you've not only managed people, but you've sometimes been managing, you know, the C-suite. So what skills have you learned or what advice might you have for, you know, managing with employees and really sort of listening to their concerns? Thanks, Tom. Uh, it's interesting because I, I think it comes back to some of the things uh, Jeremy talked about. How, what to say, but I think it even, it goes one step earlier than that. I think what we have to do is start thinking about training managers again. I, I think a lot of things have happened in the last 15 years or 10 years uh, that, that we've, we, we now fall on leadership and we quote Peter Drucker and that's our solution for the problem. Let's, what, what Peter say. Uh, however, Peter was a manager <laughs> and, and, and loved management. So I think part of it is we have to be willing to invest money in management development again. We, you know, we used to spend a lot of money helping bring people up to speed on these kinds of issues. Look, I'm a leader. I work for you know, the president of the United States, so I guess that makes me kind of in the unique class of group of, of people. But I'm a really uh, awesome manager. And it's not because I grew up, I, I just have these skills naturally. Um, the other part of this is that we first we have to have some management training. The second is we have to find new ways to do management, management training. So in my mind, one of the things we can add to every uh, arsenal of development is coaching. Coaching is just in time. It's fast. It's accelerated. It makes the person feel committed and connected. We need to become good coaches. And we need to be able to relate to people by not only the, the, what we say, but how we show up in the workplace where people are comfortable again. This whole idea, and I, at first I thought it was kind of crazy until I started talking to people about the idea of psychological safety. 
but that's what your manager provides you. It's not the CEO uh, typically who's going to provide you psychological safety. It's the person you work for. It's the people you work with. The other is we have to become more self-managing. You know, the other answer I, I would throw out there is we have to learn how to be better self-managers. I see so many people wasting time trying to find a, a follow a manual that doesn't really apply in the COVID era. So throw those out, get new ones, get new playbook, uh, but be willing to learn. But don't always go to leadership. I, I find so many people struggle because they're trying to be a leader when they could be a good manager instead and get the results they're looking for and, and then and hone those other skills. Uh, so we've got to get great at managing again. And I, I know that uh, it's kind of crazy, but I think the more we're in this kind of an environment, management and structure is critically important to help people feel safer. And look, I'm a very free, free spirit guy. I've been, you know, for 30 years now, I've been a, a leader. I think we have to become great managers. And if we do that, uh, we will become the kind of organizations we want to be. We will have the kind of teams we want. And we'll, be, we'll ultimately become the leader. But you've got to in, spend some time. And companies have to start investing again in, in, in management development. I, I think that's great advice, Trip. Uh, Linda Ann, I see your hand up. Let's go to you. And Robin and Christina, uh, welcome to the stage. Thanks, Tom. And um, I, I agree with Trip again on this. You know, one of my, um, I guess, light bulb moments over the past six, 12 months has been how much of a dearth there is of management skill um, because people just got promoted to because they did a project well or whatever it was. And so I think that as from my perspective on IOs, not being an IO, I think that that's a huge opportunity um, moving forward is to how do we get managers really skilled, but there's two pieces in that. One is managers have to want to manage. They have, to, it has to be something that they innately want to do. Um, it's not a responsibility you just throw on somebody because it takes them doing the study, you know, trying out new techniques, all those kinds of things. It's not just something that you apply. And the other thing too is when you were talking about, you know, um, managers and supervisors, really their job is to remove barriers. And, and that's, you know, my philosophy of management is I'm a servant style management, um, a servant leader. And my job is to help make you successful because that's the way I'm successful. Um, not all managers and supervisors look at it that way because they're threatened. If someone, if you remove the barriers, then you can succeed and that's threatening to me. And that's a huge issue that we need to kind of cha change in the, in the, the mindset of, of people as they move forward to being an effective manager. Um, the one other comment I wanna make is as we work with, with individuals um, and really address their concerns, I think as managers, it's important to look beyond the primary concern that's being addressed. And, and one of the examples I'll give for that is, um, I had one supervisor who was working with, uh, um, you know, one of the employees that on his team, and he was frustrated because the individual kept coming to him. She wanted more information. She wanted help. She wanted guidance and things like that. 
And one of the comments I gave to him, I said was, you know, she wasn't a collegiate athletic uh, athlete. She has been coached her entire life to told what to do and how to do it next. And so we have to look at, you know, where do they come from? You know, was it, were they a child that never had a minute free to think for themselves? And you're asking them to problem solve. So you really need to look at where the issues are coming from and then design a technique or a process to advance them from where they are. But it's beyond what the, just the primary concern is that's um, being presented sometimes. So that was rather long-winded. Thank you for your attention. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that very much, uh, Linda Ann. But it kind of brings me to my next question too, which is both you and Trip have talked about the skills that managers need to learn. And especially as we see the emergence of the remote workforce or the hybrid workforce, what are some of those skills that managers need to pick up now? Christina, let's go to you. Hi, Tom. Thanks for uh, letting me speak here. Um, I loved the idea that Tripp said um, about coaching. I was actually going to come up here and suggest that um, that people go through some type of coaching at, in their workplace, not necessarily as a coaching is always good, but um, in the workplace would be so much more ideal for the workplace setting, right? So, um, and I loved what... Uh, Linda Ann had said too about the need for the person to want to be a manager because that's um, I there's so many people who are in the position who don't have the skills that you're speaking of Tom so um, in healthcare I know it's growing over the past you know decade or so that they're trying to get more people in there who have the soft skills that are necessary um, in order to connect with the patients and I think that's where the world in general is going is just connection instead of getting in, getting things done, it, it's more of the connection aspect. And um, so the skills I believe that uh, managers need in order to be successful, the very least <laughs> amount of skills that they need is like basic interpersonal skills, obviously. Um, and a growth mindset is definitely something that, um, that would be enormously helpful. But how do we change that mindset that Linda Ann was talking about where people feel threatened or um, or like they're competing with the people who who are trying to move up in the workplace. Is there any way that we can actually fix that? that that's a great question to be asking. Um, Trip, let's go to you. Maybe you've got a solution. Thanks. Um, you're kind of piggybacking off a lot of Amanda was yeah, saying. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, in my I think department, we're in, uh, when I first started as a manager, we had a lot of but, uh, but I think there are a couple uh, different skills ways that you can of coaching or discipline. Like, that was definitely something that I had a lot of training on. But I didn't have a lot of training on coaching and coaching for how to get someone from the position they're in now to a higher one. And that was always something that 
that was troublesome to me when I first started. Uh, and it's other number one skill I think of most successful people pushed for and really pushed for getting more training on how to training on how really to get hard someone to do that. And one of the skills into I've a higher position if that's what they desire. And one of my points of pride is as a manager, I've pushed upwards in positions of maybe seven of my employees into positions higher that they wanted or even higher than mine. And it's something that I'm working with current managers at my level. It's not enough to know how to delegate and not focusing so much on coaching. Uh, this really is a term we use of coaching out of the department, which I, I dislike person so much to, because so it's they can delegate coaching to get them out of the department. So it's that discipline, call, and it's know, not focusing on all the good and all the positive and, and, go hand in hand. and only focusing on, manager, on that bad side. So it is definitely something that have to be focused on, in my opinion, more of the positive coaching. The worst thing that's happening to them, they're not going to share that with you. It's going to take time to dig in to find out a little bit more about what the root cause would be. Uh, so I, I recommend that under emotional intelligence. And the second is, you, no matter what happens, if you want to be effective as a manager, you have to learn to delegate. And you have to create a system that ensures that results still come that have to be got. You, know, you still have to get your results. But with hybrid workplace, it's not that we don't have to get results because we're working in separate locations now. We just have to be better managers of helping to develop our talent so they can do it on their own in other locations. So long answer to a short question, but I, th I think that will help. Yeah, I think that's a great answer, Trip. Uh, Noel, great to see you back here. Why don't you, you go next, and then we'll go to Linda Ann. Yes, thank you. Um, I was going to address the issue mainly of the use of technology. Like now it's in the spotlight within the COVID pandemic context of the workplace, and managers have been compelled now to engage, both update and, you know, uh, their digital skills particularly. Um, and how to use technology, technology effectively in the hiring strategies and, uh, for example, their workplace uh, well-being strategies as well. So, for example, in the hiring strategies, I've seen some companies now engaging the issue of um, gender-neutral job postings as well, for example, uh, to remove certain biases that, you know, so solutions that engaging with the issues, you know, on how we can converge our humanity with our technology, you know, in light of the conversation of diversity, inclusion, and belonging. So in a way, you know, we should constantly be conscious of our own, you know, unconscious biases as we navigate the hiring processes as well as um, workplace well-being, for example, because, you know, it also feeds into like when the employees are now working with you on a project and um, you have a wellness project, for example, and you, you literally... Uh, have a top-down approach. So um, a bottom-up approach, for example, would be very useful in technology. Tech can actually be a very critical tool in enhancing that. For example, you can use tools that measure um, employee well-being, like allowing them to give input into a, a well-being well-being index, for example, and you know, taking it back to the to the to the to the employees. So back to the point of servant leadership that someone raised earlier on that. You literally have to view your employees or your team as assets, you know, in developing company culture, workplace culture, as opposed to saying, oh, uh, we have a wellness program, let's do yoga. Um, that's a top-down approach, you know, because already you are dictating what the, the steps forward are for a wellness uh, program, as opposed to taking it back to the employees. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's making us, it's forcing us to use taking a, 
in a very good way and explore as well the ethical considerations as well as to um, the ways in which sometimes we may end up using tech in a problematic way. Because I always, I'm now thinking of ways which in the hiring process, for example, many companies tend to rely on this applicant tracking system now. Um, I'm not sure how that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm still on the fence about it. It makes HR and you know easier, uh, but does it uh, now stymie creativity, you know, of of people who want to engage their CVs in their own unique way? Um, so I've been thinking around that as well. And sometimes maybe we're now taking it a bit. We're now sourcing a lot of our human aspects of of managing and hiring to. Um, tech in a way that could uh, could end up removing the humanness of 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 the of the workplace culture so yeah it's just it's an indictment on us to then to use tech in a way that um is not problematic you know uh, going forward especially in this uh digital transformation conversation within companies as a manager how are you using tech or as an hr manager or as um for example talent acquisition manager or project uh coordinator, how are you using tech to enhance uh, the human aspect as opposed to removing the humanness out of the equation? So, yeah, that's that's my thinking now. Well, I think you're right. that there, There's a huge shift that's coming. Uh, and it really is sort of, I've become a big fan of Settle Neely and her work. And I think IO is, is, are placed perfectly in position to help with that transition. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go over to you. Hi, there were so many um, really good things said uh, between, you know, Christina and Noel and, and so forth. And so um, I just wanted to make a couple comments. Uh, and that was um, when I think one of the things that Christina had said was, how do you, you get people from um, away from being threatened when they're facilitating someone's success? And I think we really need to help people understand how valuable employees are to our success as an organization. Um, there's still a lot of companies out there that see employees just as, as cogs or tools to, to be used in a certain way. And, and to Noelle's point, one of my um, kind of peeves is that we really have to work with getting people to be human again. And I think for all the Zoom opportunities that there are out there, I think that that has a huge, that we, it's not the obstacle that people might think it will be. And I think it will cause people to need to develop their management skills more and, the, and to manage by result and then use their true management skill in facilitating the success of those people um, while they're they're on their desk at home and giving them the flexibility that they all want. But it's going to take that transition to let's look at what the key results are going to be or we want and then interact in a way that facilitates that process. And I think that's a real shift from uh, the task-oriented type of management that so many people are used to. Some really good points, Linda. And, and Jeremy, I see your hand up, and let's go to you next. Uh, 
you know, and, and I've had, there's the question that pops into my mind because, you know, especially after what Linda Ann has shared, there's a mindset change that needs to occur with managers. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that as well. Tom, actually, I was going to, maybe that, that might be something Nastasha wants to answer. I want to, before I get long-winded, I want to throw it back to you, Tom, because you mentioned Sadal Neely's um, work and, and who recently wrote the, and I, I, what I'm going to do is I want to ask you to, to talk about a little bit about what her book is all about and what her work is and then how virtual VC mastery, virtual conference mastery, um, virtual vcmastery.com, excuse me, um, the work that we're doing to parallel that. And her book is called Remote Work Revolution. It's a it's a high, it's a recommended book. We recommend it. Um, she's from the Harvard Business School. Uh, her name is uh, Sedal Neely. T S E D A L Neely. It's called The Remote Work Revolution: Succeeding from Anywhere. And Tom, for our podcast listeners, wondering if you could give an idea of what um, Virtual Communication Mastery is doing as a parallel um, to that work and to enhance and let people succeed, whether they're geographically displaced, otherwise, as I call it remote or hybrid uh, well thank you very much jeremy and tasha will get anastasia sorry we will get to you in a moment uh, but time for a little uh, self-serving promotion thank you very much jeremy yeah if you haven't looked at settle neely's work uh, you really need to take a look at it both the remote work revolution and go on youtube and just look at some of her videos uh, to you know to sort of wrap the story up is she saw the remote workforce coming 20 years ago and she's been doing the work to sort of um, give a framework for it. And when the pandemic hit, I mean, you know, talk about being at the perfect place at the perfect time. Uh, and her work is revolutionary. Uh, she worked with Rocketson, who is, you know, a, a global company. And they made a decision that the language of their business was going to be English. Here is a, comp a Japanese company who has employees all over the world, including English speakers, but also employees in Latin America, in Asia, in the Middle East. And it was revolutionary at that time just to think of a, a corporation having a single language that they are going to use to communicate with. And it changed the culture. It changed the way they did work uh, in very positive manners. Yes, there was some issues at time. But it's really sort of the trend that I think we all need to be taking a look at because it's coming. And she talks about the skills that you need to uh, exist and to achieve in this world. And so at Virtual Communication Mastery, we actually started about a year ago looking at the issues of how do organizations transition to the online world. And so we have developed a skill set and now programs that help organizations to effectively move to the hybrid or remote workforce because sometimes it's going to be people who exclusively work out of the office. There's always going to be those people who want to work in the office. And then there's going to be this great mix of people who maybe spend a couple of days in the office or maybe it's they're gone for two weeks, but then we have three days of where we need everybody in the office. So that's coming. That's going to develop but it requires a skill set. So that's what we've been working on uh, with virtual communication mastery. Uh, Trip is a great advocate. Trip has helped us so much in the development as well. And we're really working in that process. So especially for managers and IOs, 
if you want more information about the work that we're doing, you know, talk to Jeremy, talk to myself, and we will be more than happy to share that with you. All right. Nastasia, let's move on to you. Hi, everyone. Um, I just had a quick question. And it's pertaining to TRIPS response about using coaching as well as it pertains to managers. But I wanted to know, how do you navigate coaching, especially within like hostile work environments where it's more so used as an indication of poor performance rather than like proactive or positive development? I think two answers and you won't like the first one. <laughs> I think the first one is that you leave those kinds of environments. I'm a, a huge proponent about not working for bad companies. I think bad companies should go away. And I think the only way they go away is if you stop working for them. I think on the other hand, giving a more, uh, uh, you know, an optimistic view on this is I think coaching forces relationship. And I think if you use coaching, it's a great uh, catalyst tool. Uh, one of the t tools you can use to change a corporate culture very quickly if it becomes the norm. So I think part of that is investing some time and energy into figuring out what the current state looks like and where the problem spots are. Because typically when people are violent or angry at work, it's not simply because they want to be violent or angry at work. It's because there's a root cause underneath it that maybe they're not feeling like they're getting the training, they're not getting the attention, their roles are not clearly defined, they're not feeling very safe. So I, I would recommend uh, that the first step is to really do kind of a, a diagnostic to figure out where we're at with what's going on. The second is I would, I would start to recommend coaching and, and help people learn how to coaching. There's a lot of resources out there that can help people jumpstart that kind of activity in an organization. So I think that, but the third one, and I, I, I'm not kidding. Uh, I, I, I wish I was, uh, but I've always believed bad companies need to go away. And I've done that for 35 years now. And I've helped put some of them out of the misery of myself. Uh, being very helpful like I am. But part of that's understanding why is it a bad company? The other is you do not need to work, and I'm, I'm saying this to everyone in this room, we do not need to work in environments that are not positive anymore. Those days are over. And the faster companies get that, the faster they adapt or die. So my positive is, I think what you have to say is, what's causing the problem? Because sometimes what's causing the problem, the root cause of all this, it's simply a lack of education or direction or vision. And those things are correctable. But sometimes there are companies uh, that for many years survived in spite of themselves. Uh, but I think we now have a different kind of work environment and we're coaching. We shouldn't have to put up with that. And I think that's why so many people get into bad situations. And it's like an abusive relationship with their employer. <laughs> and I think we, we really are doing ourselves a disservice to allow ourselves to put ourselves in that position. And I think to do that, we also need to create new environments that are more conducive to the kind of environments we want to work in. So I think you have to have creation as well as destruction, but that's a long answer. But I got, I, I, I really believe and I've worked all over the world uh, with some of the most phenomenal people you'll ever work with in a lifetime. And we all believe that we are out to create a better company, a better work environment. And, and that means a better culture. And to do that, we have to get rid of some of the bad cultures that are out there and let those people come to places where they're appreciated. Thank you very much for that trip. Amanda, welcome to the stage. Do you have a question or a comment you'd like to add? I've actually got a comment. Um, so I've heard a number of items about trying to address supervisors that are lacking the skills that they need to essentially be human drivers. Um, and there's a 
big difference between um, what science knows and what is actually practiced in the workplace. And the big thing that's been noticed, especially from a systematic perspective, is that individuals are often promoted into leadership roles because they're great individual contributors. But because individuals are great individual contributors does not make them good leaders. Um, and there's a lack of understanding um, of what coaching really means. Uh, for instance, my doctorate is actually working on doing an employee coaching, or it's also known in the literature as managerial coaching, employee coaching, supervisory coaching, manager as a coach, manager as coach, um, where there, where in the literature it talks about coaching from a developmental perspective. However, most organizations don't talk about coaching as a developmental perspective. They, when they use the term coaching, it is associated with progressive discipline process and um, those grievances and hey someone needs to be coached well it's because someone is needing remedial coaching versus growth coaching and as IOs when we go into the workplace having those and knowing how the language is being spoken and so when we say someone could be coached there is then not that automatic gut reaction of ooh, and that may also help contribute to that um threatening perception that someone has that if someone needs to be coached, well, are you talking about needing to coach a weakness or progressive discipline uh, something? Or is it more of, hey, we need to develop you. Um, and, it's, and I'm starting to advocate with my organization that we need to start identifying human factors that are relevant to our culture's, to our organizational culture's values and mission on identifying stable HR items from the promotional perspective that focus on human drivers, because we have a lot of individuals that are really great at what they do, but once they get promoted into a supervisory or manager role, they aren't taught how to be a supervisor, how to be a manager. Most people don't get those sort of trainings until seven years into a job. And therefore they're trying to figure it out on their own. And they then interpret that, hey, what I did as an individual contributor is what made me get this role. So now I just need to do that from a supervisory standpoint, which is what dictates a lot of the perspective of, hey, I need to micromanage. I need to make sure people are doing it my way because I was promoted because of that, uh, which it's just something that's in the working world and it just plagues the working world. But trying to get our organization to say, start taking an approach of that, we need to now start looking at those human factors. Otherwise, we need to start doing some upskilling related to that. Because um, the upskilling for uh, my doctorate that we've identified is not just the growth mindset, but also coaching competencies like self-awareness, um, emotional intelligence, I believe like Tripp ended up saying earlier, along with um, uh, communication, active or empathic listening, and being able to be agile with diversity because we're just continuing to grow more diverse and a lot of organizations have made that a part of their strategic operating plan where their individuals that are either being hired or being promoted need to be filtered through the diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. And sometimes, Amanda, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, something like diversity is a statement but they're not actually moving to the reality of that. Yes, yeah, and that's most certainly the case. Um, in the organization I work for, that 
is not the case. They have fully taken on and are implementing it from an actual uh, procedural process and trying to embed a greater level of diversity because the organization I work for is an engineering-based organization and it is predominantly white man. It's just, it, it, it is what it is. And trying to change that perspective and make individuals aware of their own biases, unconscious biases through uh, education from our DNI um, or e, our o, trying to blank of what the, <laughs> the department calls themselves, but from the diversity, inclusion, and um, equity lens, trying to purposefully actually walk the talk. And it's going to take some time, but it's not just a nice thing that's being said. And that's something that needs to start, start from the top down, because if that is something that they really want to embed into their organization and their managers and leaders need to be agile with diversity, then they have to start really owning it because modeling is the biggest sayer or not even modeling is the biggest naysayer to what the corporation or culture actually is. Yeah, we really need leaders to lead. Jeremy, let me go to you because, you know, if we need leaders to lead and these changes are coming, it's like Tripp says, if we don't move forward, your organization is going to die. So how do we work with leaders to sort of have this new mindset of, of coaching is for development? Uh, and, and, you know, I'm not an IO, but I made an assumption that every IO is a coach. Is, is that part of the training for an IO? Oh, man, that's a whole other room. Is that part of the training for IO? <laughs> I mean, actually... We'll, we'll figure that out. We'll make that part of our IO series because unfortunately there is, you know, as we've talked about in many of the IO rooms, there is no training for IOs, which is why we started the, the IO room. So many IOs, you know, you get an academia, you get your degree, but the, the schools fall extremely flat um, in terms of um, preparing and the larger organizations have fallen flat on successfully introducing IO to the workplace. So, uh, you know, I guess we are the training for, for IOs in this realm. Um, as far as the, um, can, can you, what was your, your main question was, which I loved and I really want to answer it. Um, cause you went off of trips. Can you rephrase that for me? Yeah, it's, it's, what is the role of leadership? Because, you know, as, as Amanda said, and Robin said, it, it comes from the top down. And if we want to make this, this change of, of you, you know, managers not using coaching, to discipline employees and that notion that coaching is bad, how do we get leaders to take that step? Oh man, you had it perfect. And then you had it even more perfect. Coaching is, wow. You, you kind of blew my mind there. Um, I, Ooh, paradigm shift. I've always seen coaching as a, as a, it's a positive of growing and developing and you're dead on. You know, when you're in an organization, when people get coached, it's mostly because it's part of their uh, their development plan or because they have been doing things wrong. Um, and I guess that's just a different way. I'm more of opportunist. I'm more of, uh, um, I should say, opportunity glass half full and looking at positive attributes. Um, the bottom line is when 
leaders and organizations ha- have to start to see it in terms of what's in it for me. And what does that take? Well, it takes other people who are trying to get the buy-in for these types of initiatives to get those leaders to see what's in it for them. Because a manager is not just going to turn around right away and say, um, okay, you know what, I'm going to spend time um, being effective and doing these particular things. And because I want to, because that's what an effective manager does. It's got to really be what's in it for them. And it has to be, we've got to remove the fear and we've got to remove the, the uncertainty and the difficult that, that it, the difficult, that nest that it feels anyone doing that says, Hey, I'm going to do my taxes by myself for the first time. They're probably, you know, they might put it off for a while because it's, it's uncertain. It's scary. There's fear. They don't know what to do unless you're really the type of person that just loves to dive in and and try and do new things. It's probably going to be something that there's fear there. And what do we do when there's fear? We have hesitation because we don't, we always see things as much more complex. How many times did anyone here, anyone listening, how many times have you ever put something off for a very long time because you thought it was going to be the most difficult thing in the world and take all your time and then you do it and you realize it took you an hour and you're so glad you did it. You wish you would have done it sooner. We do that all the time. And it's, uh, it's, it's our jobs, as you say, for with IOs and, and other um, you know, world-class consultants in the workplace to break things down, break things down into bite, bite-sized chunks and show people, look, it can, it's, it's broken down very simply into these three easy steps. We're going to coach you along. Um, we're going to reduce the procrastination by telling you the very first thing that you need to do to start to do this. Procrastinate, people procrastinate often uh, because it's, you know, let's say that you're making cold calls, right? You don't have to, you don't say I have to make 10 cold calls today. You say I have to pick up the phone. I have to pick up the phone receiver and then next I just have to dial a number or whatever the first thing is. I have to take my hand out of my pocket and pick up the phone. That's how you reduce procrastination um, and also because of what's in it for them. So if we can get to, to if leaders and organizations can start to reduce procrastination and I mean, it really, you know, where does it start? It's always a level up, but there's always fear at every level. So I think, you know, we talked about buddy systems in the last room what about creating buddy systems for leaders at the very top? People say it's lonely at the top. It's really lonely at the top. Anyone who's worked with CEOs and C-suite knows it, they are, it's, it's lonely at the top. There are very few people that challenge sometimes uh, and they often have a, 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 a strong lack of what used to feel like camaraderie in, in the positions that they held years and years ago. So anything that can be done you know, think user interface for even for a, a new technology, whatever can be done to make it simple to learn how to be a more effective manager. How do you break it down into very simple steps? What's the bare minimum? What's doing a decent job at it? And what is it excelling? The other thing is excitement and momentum. How do you get managers excitement excited about it? You help them understand how, look, if you do these very simple things that will likely take you 10 to 15 minutes at a time, or even 10 to 15 minutes, three times a week, here's what could happen. Here's how your tomorrow can be better than it is today. Here's how the weight can be lifted off your shoulders from this problem you've been having. And here's what it could look like and envision and get people to paint a picture. You have to paint a picture for them or have them do it very descriptive of how their future can be better. That's what leaders do. 
Leaders lead people to a place better than where they are headed. And many people in organizations right now are headed really on a path to, to, to nowhere, uh, a lack of visioning out. And if there is visioning out, there seems to be an immediate fear. And that immediate fear stops the visioning out process because it looks so daunting. It looks so challenging. And that's what a good coach does is provide the opportunity, that sounding board, the, the good questioning, the perfect coaching techniques to allow leaders to see a place, break their current state of misery, change that misery to dissatisfaction. And that dissatisfaction will allow them to be now motivated to, to change what's in it for them and break it down into easy steps, Tom. And get off the road to self-destruction. Trip. Yeah, I, I had an interesting thought as I was listening to everyone talk. One, a couple things that jump out at me. One, one is understanding coaching is there's a, as many ways of coaching as there are people. And, and I think one of the things we have to kind of think to ourselves is when we try to put this mental map together on what it looks like, not to be so uh, hamstrung by the rules of what, what's, what it looks like. So we need, first of all, we need to add additional mental models to what we have because I think if we're uh, trained in I.O. classically, we're going to have an I.O. perspective when we should probably have another 20 more uh, to be able to make a, be a good advisor to people. So part of that is growing ourselves, understanding that growth is part of our life. And, and I think part of that's what you see when you have organizations that are stagnant. Uh, they've come away without being growing anymore. And I think having an ability to align uh, ultimately, my feeling, and, and a lot of people will bet on what I'm thinking, is you have to align the people with the purpose of the organization. No, you have to align the purpose that includes the people in that development of the organization's direction. I think ultimately we will become much more individualized and more influential and powerful in the fact that we will have much more impact on the organizations we're involved in. If, and to get there, we have to be willing to allow ourselves and our organizations to be flexible enough to align with people's individual agendas and a collective agenda as well. We tend to think of things as being hierarchical. And in reality, as we move forward in the world, that will change. But you, to do that, though, you have to have a flexible mindset. And many people don't. I'm not trying to I'm not saying that anyone in this room is like that. But if they were, there are people who will quote me a Bible and verse about some kind of coaching system with a particular person. And I actually know the person and have worked with them. So I think and they were never that inflexible. We tend to take things in writing and, and think those are the ultimate rules. And I think in our society, as it continues to accelerate the change, we have to have more flexible mindsets. We also have to have different ways of doing this. And in many ways, we have to customize for the individual their employee experience. Now, you can say the, the company is more important, but it's not. And, and I think that's the other thing is, as you look at technology supersizing people, <laughs> you're going to see a lot of changes. So consider how you might change your way of looking at this, because the only way you grow is primarily through improvement you know, and scaling yourself. How do you continue to add new skills and capabilities? Instead of saying we're done when we start finish our schooling, we are just at the beginning. So how do we make sure that we keep growing? But we have to grow. And, and I think we have to be selective in where we choose to invest our lives. Everyone in this room probably, I don't think there's anybody really old like me, um, I don't, I would say, are going to live to 100 and have 20 careers. 
to have 20 careers in different areas, what would it require you to do today? And that's how you have to think as you move forward. And I think, Tripp, that that's the core of that mindset, mind shift that, that we all need to sort of take part of. Uh, Noel, let's go to you next and then Linda Ann. Uh, thank you, yes. Uh, so um, I was thinking of uh, why don't we engage more of a, a hybrid approach to coaching constantly because at times, um, I'll give an example, there are instances where there are people who I reported to who tended to think because they know so much in there. I think I gave it in the last uh, deep dive where I engaged in as an instance where a psychologist questioned why we we as politics, uh, it was a politics PhD graduate and myself as an honors uh, student of his engaging disability uh, as if we're, you know, it's, it's, it's a psychology, uh, lim it's limited psychology inquiry, not, you know, politics. Because it, it, to her, it dumbed down or de-intellectualizes the process of which we highlighted to her that, no, listen, um, we actually engage a social model of disability, you know, where we fix the environment for people with disabilities as opposed to fixing the individual, you see, which psychologists over the years have a history of doing. So we are partaking the conversation from a perspective of, you know, communitarianism as well. And we bring different perspectives, you know, to our projects and fresh perspectives as well. So I think it's, it's more of a, a commit, commitment to continuous learning that, you know, managers should have, you know, or when you're, you know, being consulted on issues um, to question your own skills and competencies. If you're, maybe you are, um, you can question your own long-standing ideas on how things work. Uh, so I think the, the lack of commitment to do that amongst many managers or many um, people are consulted who are subject matter experts. Um, so, yeah, that is an example then. I'd, I'd see that, you know, it's important then if you take it to a workplace setting, then uh, a corporate setting where employees come with fresh perspectives and they're undermined because there's a lack of commitment to continuous learning from the manager. You know, so it's more of a, an emphasis of top-down approach, not an asset in the equation. And there's a lot of uh, boot leaky that happens throughout the process. So I can relate to South African context where people are offered contracts, short-term contracts. So they're offered six months at a time, six months, six months. So you constantly have to boutique your manager to advance your career, basically. Uh, because if you don't, you know, you're very disposable. So someone else mentioned that, you know, closing down uh, toxic companies. But if you come to <laughs> an African context or South African context where, you know, early career people are very disposable, um, I don't remember last time I was offered more than two or three months. I think recently when I've been offered an eight months contract um, leading into a full-time position, but you constantly have to prove yourself. Um, so the consequence then is you have to maybe dumb yourself down to not, you know, uh, appear too uh, uh, challenging the authority. Otherwise, you know, they're threatened by that at times. So I, I heard that from an, an actual, you know, early career person, you know, the entire PhD saying they have to literally almost tone down their, their opinions because they're afraid that, you know, if they speak too much to authority and challenge authority too much on issues uh, because of the lack of commitment to continuous learning from the manager, then 
you know, they are snuffed out of the equation. So, yeah, it's, 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 then it's important then I support the idea that, you know, toxic companies should be targeted. But if you come to a context where, you know, we have liberal um, employment um, laws where there's a wide gap as well sometimes between policy and practice, um, I gave an example of, you know, how in America you can sue a company for an accessible website, but in South Africa you, you can't, you know, uh, because the policy is there, but there's no consequences matching it. So you have those toxic uh, cultures replicating themselves, especially for people, you know, who are vulnerable, marginalized in, in a particular context. So, yeah, just adding on to that, you know, point of the commitment of continuous learning is important for, for, for managers in whatever context. Um, otherwise, there'll be a continuation of uh, a, a, a top-down approach when a bottom-up approach works in some contexts where, you know, companies, you know, develop because of new ideas, new perspectives, or disciplines develop as well because of those new perspectives. I think we should be shifting towards that more as well, uh, as much as it's important then to also lead or top-down in some instances. but. Uh, where we are headed, especially on issues of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, I think on, on certain issues, then we should be seen to um, be open-minded to, to new perspectives, coach in the moment, you know, engage one-on-one -on -one with each employee and each of, you know, uh, as opposed to um, saying, okay, here's our program, yeah, take it or leave it. So, yeah, that's my thinking as well, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's great knowledge. It's, it's it's scary, but great to hear about what's going on with, you know, organizations in your part of the world. Uh, we got about five minutes left. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Uh, yeah, I had a, just a, com uh, a couple comments, and, and some of it refer refers back to what Jeremy had said, um, and working with leaders to kind of break down things into smaller chunks, um, you know, to get rid of the, some of those intimidations and procrastinations. But I think that can apply to um, managers at all levels and the, the value in that. And part of it is just because of the way my brain works. But um, when a manager or leader does that, they are actually identifying opportunities for delegation and growth and the way i would look at things is often when there's something new or something else to do is there is it a minimal risk opportunity and that's can i delegate this where there's minimal risk of failure for that person so that as they move forward in that task and take it on not only is it a learning experience but there's a minimal risk of failure. They have the opportunity to maybe go through some rough spots, but there's also going to be some successes. And there's many, many more of those opportunities than most people realize. You just need to start thinking about things in a different way. But the amount of growth that happens through those is enormous. Thank you very much for that, Linda Ann. Uh, Jeremy, I see we've only got three minutes left. So let me send it back to you for a wrap. There we go, audio on. This has been absolutely fantastic and I urge everyone, um, we're gonna end the room here in a minute and write down one or two action items, one or two takeaways that you can implement or coach someone to implement within 24 hours. That is how we turn these 
groups, these discussions into uh, into impact in the workplace and in our own lives to uh, become change agents ourselves. And um, as we help with world-class coaching and consulting, we are going to close the room, but I will ask, is there anything that anyone wanted to say, but hasn't had the chance to say? If so, please flash your mics or raise your hands. I'll give it a five count. Excellent. Thank you everyone for being here. We will be running these rooms again at 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you again next Thursday. Thank you everyone. Closing the room in five, four, three, two, one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.